Welcome to the Bearded Tits podcast, the nature-based show hosted by me, Jack Perks. Each week I'm joined by a guest from the world of wildlife television, art and science. We take a light-hearted look into what makes these people tick and connect with the natural world so strongly, with new episodes out every Tuesday. Hello, how are we all doing? Now, a few of you may remember that a couple of weeks ago I said Tanya was coming on, but because she's such a busy little beaver and doing lots of work with the mating game and other things, we had to reschedule. But she's here today. Tanya is a zoologist, a self-shooting assistant producer, and an editor. And it's a great chat that we have all about the work that she does. Now, there's a link in the description to buymeacoffee.com. And if you can help the podcast out by donating three million pounds... Three million? Three pounds, sorry. You can do- If you could donate three million, that'd be great. I don't know why I put three million. I guess if I can trick one of you into donating three million, I'll be set up, won't I? But yeah, whatever you can afford. Three pounds is what I normally ask. If you could also leave a review, that really helps the podcast out. Myself and Tanya discuss if she enjoys the editing process, what it's like working for groups like Netflix, and of course, all this filthy animal sex. Well, not filthy. It's scientific and educational. But we're going to be talking about animal sex. Here's our chat. So welcome to the podcast, Tanya. Hi, Jack. Thank you so much for having me. How, how's it all going? I've been I'm, following your adventures on, on Twitter like mad. You've been very busy. I'm always up to something. But I mean, if you talk about adventures, you are adventuring all the time. I see I'm in, slipping over <laughs> in jungles and uh, getting up to other other bits and bobs, which is always pretty fascinating. And you're quite varied in the roles that you do from assistant producer, camera op, editor. Do you have a favourite? Oh, that's a tricky one. I, it's, I, I adore editorial, Jack. Um, and I'm sure. Really? Just a, I do. I do. Because oh. everyone's like, oh, Tan, Tan, <laughs> Tanya's a, you know, a camera woman. But, um, but quite like yourself, sort of jack of all trades, really. Because I think our job is encompassing a, a variety of uh, tasks with a, an incredible team. Because obviously what we do is, is only a small part of a, a large production team, which, you know, can go into the hundreds really especially across series or productions such as landmark series that um run on for three or four years but so uh, i i love the storytelling i love the cinematography and the camera work so i i kind of have these this aspiration to become a, a shooting pd in the future um so i like to kind of maintain both of them if i can <laughs> rather cheekily um for my own personal projects or through, um, of course, I work with Silverback Film, the fantastic Silverback Film. So they've allowed me to kind of um, pursue the editorial ambitions as well as do some second camera and get additional photography credits, which is very, I'm very, very grateful. I'm so lucky. I'm very, very grateful every day. <laughs> so the, when you're saying the editing, it doesn't bother you like being in a dark room, uh, doing all that sort of stuff. You're quite happy. Just you're enjoying the story coming together. Yeah, so when I say editorial, because it's, it's kind of encompasses the entire process of a production. So from kind of pre-production to production to post-production, um, my job as an AP is to basically be the right-hand woman of my producer on an episode or, or the project I'm working on now directly with my um, producer and director. And uh, obviously I'm there to, to basically be a field monkey <laughs> and spend copious amount of time and in the field and, and working with cinematography time, which I adore because you know it's very collaborative and I spend months researching, investigating all of the possible narratives and storylines of the particular animal we're filming and getting together the, the all of the logistics with our production coordinators who are amazing. Um, and of course there's lots of budgeting going on and 
Um, but I mean, for me, I love, I just adore talking to the scientists and working out obviously what they've been dedicating their entire lives to, to focusing on this particular, this animal and the life histories that they um, obviously have been investigating. And I adore that. And working with camera talent means that I get to geek out and talk about codex, which I know you're like, no, no, <laughs> that, but I, I do. I love, I love the tech. I'm very technically, uh, technically driven um, editorial person. And um, I just love getting the kind of the best out of the different tools and particular um, cameras um, that we can use to get the best out of the sequence. And then during, so that's all sort of pre-production, which can lead up to the main production phase where we're off shooting for, I mean, some of the shoots can be nine weeks. One of my next shoots is nine weeks, which is a bit mad, um, crazy, crazy time. Um, and then post-production is a very exciting part of the production as well, because you get to work with incredible talent, the editors who are the master storytellers. And I obviously work very closely with my producer as well, who, you know, sitting in the edits and creating select and avid and, and building up those story beats. So our job in the field is essentially to help guide the narrative and, and, and find those gaps really when we're reviewing the rushes during the day or well, during the evening rather once we've had a long slog um 14 15 hour day and um but yeah in the edit everything gets put together there and that's where the real creative process comes in so i i love all aspects of production you just get to work the most amazing fantastic fabulous people as well which i'm sure you because you you're involved obviously in all aspects of you know program making including your photography and your presenting which is a whole different bag yeah i guess so i mean <clears throat> i do it all i i think it's the filmmaking i um i enjoy the most the editing mm -hmm. i'd rather take my eyes out with, with a rusty spoon i really can't <laughs> stand editing but i know you have to do it to some degree and um years ago i wanted to be a presenter and i tried and it just didn't mm -hmm. quite work out and then as soon as I gave up looking for it, then Countryfile asked me to to do it, which is you know, weird, you know, weird tech circumstances. We never go looking for these things, but it's nice to do a little bit of everything. And I guess with what you're doing, it's quite mm. handy that you've got all these multi skills because if someone needs maybe an extra hand, you're qualified or hopefully you're qualified to do these things. Yes, well, I, I must say I do. I really enjoy watching you on the one shows in the Countryfile. You're absolutely brilliant at presenting. So so oh, they bloody stop get it. you back on. Stop it. You. It's true. I was saying this to your your arch rival Ryan as well because he's he's such a <laughs> well, he's, not... he's not my rival. <laughs> I mean, if you're bet if you're better than someone, they're not really you're not really a rival, are you? <laughs> but no, he's brilliant. He's so he's so funny. Obviously, I know he was a comedian for quite some time, but he's just got. Well, such he says a natural... he was. He says he was. <laughs> I mean, where is it? Where's yeah. where's his real? Where's well, his real? Well, you know, I, I'm I'm comfortable that he'll never listen to this, so I can say absolutely anything about him. <laughs> I'm going to tag him in in the on the show. Oh balls, um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's. I think I think that's the thing. If you have a curiosity, I've always been passionate about natural history since I was very very young. I, I grew up in Spain. No one believes I'm actually half Spanish. Jack, I have to say it's um the Esteban. It should be the the giveaway. But um, yeah. I grew up there for eighteen years. I, I lived there until I was eighteen, and then came to the UK. Well, your accent's flawless. Like there's no kind of Spanish oh, twang to it. <laughs> I should put the more of an accent. I can't do it. I can only do a safe if you can accent or something like that. But no, um, diversify. Yes. Yeah, diversify. But no, it's. <laughs> It's a huge passion, man. I think if the more aspects of production that you get involved in, the more you can actually collaborate and work with your team in a better way. For me, I've always been driven by, 
you know, fantastic storytelling and obviously the visuals as well, which is why I love shooting when I can. Um, and what, any spare time I have, I'm just sort of geeking out and going, right, what film project can I get involved with? Or, what, you know, what, you know research is, is my passion as well. So I, I think, I mean, you'll always be a researcher up until you become a producer anyway, because you're constantly reading and assessing what different storytell you know, storytelling angles you can you can take with a particular uh, narrative. And obviously for these landmarks, you kind of focus on either a central theme or behavior, which is threaded upon um, a concept. So, you know, a five part 60 minute landmark episode, you know, series um, will have, you know, jungles, plains, oceans, freshwater, and various habitat based um, themes. And then you have your core behavior. So it could be mating, which I, this is a cheeky plug for the mating game. <laughs> which oh no, we'll get there. We'll get there, don't worry. <laughs> We'll get um, and of course the hunt and whatnot or sometimes you have more thematic seasonal um series or location-based series which you know which is very exciting because you get means you get to revisit locations with your crew and really begin to develop the characters of individual animals which i'm sure you enjoy doing i mean you probably don't see the same freshwater fish again and again do you jet Sometimes you, I mean, you get a bit of a relationship with some of them. I know it sounds silly, but you do get to kind of get characters with uh, yes. some fish do do have a bit of a character. So, but no, gen generally it is a kind of one bang, thank you, ma'am. You've, you've filmed them once and you, you're you probably yeah. not going to see that fish again. But uh, certainly during lockdown, I got to know animals a little bit better because I couldn't travel far. So you can sometimes build up those relationships. And I know talking to other camera ops, um, mm. some of the best footage they get is when they've built up a, a relationship mm. with the animal. Um, Hugh Miles was talking about it. Charlie Hamilton James was talking about it, where they get to actually know the animal, and then they yes. get some incredible footage because they it's like almost an extended family member in a way. Yes, I've not quite had that with a fish yet, but we'll, <laughs> somewhere somewhere down uh, down the line we'll we'll get there. Um, you mentioned all these series and groups that you've you've worked with, and I wondered how the streaming platforms like Netflix differ from traditional TV making say like with the BBC, is is there a difference? Is it much of a muchness or if you're in a unique perspective that you've worked with with a few of these? Yes, well, I, I you're absolutely spot on. I think, I mean, the television landscape has changed drastically since I first began as a little junior researcher five and a half years ago. And um, I mean, traditionally- Is that it? So you've, you've sorry to interrupt there, but you, you, no. so you've come really far in five years then. Oh, well, thank you. That's, That's incredible. Great. That's really good. <laughs> Sorry, carry um, on, carry on. I'm no, just marveling, no, no, marveling at you. Um, that's very sweet of you, but no, it's I, yeah, it's been a. I've been very fortunate. I've always, always been so driven and passionate to try and work in this industry because it's it's about sharing the science, you know, and the stories that these remarkable people who've dedicated their lives to investigating. But from from a platform perspective, obviously, the rise of the esports is enormous and. I mean, God, you know, from watching, you know, Squid Games or Bridgerton or all of these, or oh, Queen's Gambit, which I absolutely adored, all of these big mega drama series that are encapsulating audiences all across the world. And I think the key is it is it is global and you're kind of catering to a much wider audience that necessarily might prefer storytelling done in a different way or I mean, the making ofs, of course, are always incredibly popular and those are kind of always demanded as a separate cut film. But working with traditional broadcasters such as the BBC is, is different in that, you know, the way that the audience figures are kind of, you know, you have your overnights and then your kind of consolidated figures, which, you know, once a, a programme has TX'd and transmitted, um, everyone's sort of keen to see the response and the reaction. But 
when you're kind of releasing, you know, an entire series like Our Planet, for instance, which was released on Netflix, produced by Silverback Films, incredible series. It's all released at once. And you have all of this incredible content that's taken the best part of four years and hundreds of people and thousands and thousands of hours of incredibly hard um, work to craft all of these stories and sequences together. And, you know, people kind of, you know, can dip in into different narratives. You're not forcing an audience to watch a particular episode at a particular time. So you then start to see how differently people can respond to it across the world. And it's quite nice because obviously um, with BBC and natural history programs that are released on there, you're, you're uh, the, the traditionally the releases in the UK first, and then depending on our co-production partners and, and the sales that you have, um, BBC Worldwide distributing it across to America or to Europe and France TV or NHK who were our co-producers in the, the, this recent series I worked on. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's transmitted at different times. So you have sort of intermittent bursts of activity of, for a series, whereas when you release everything all, all online on, on Netflix, for example, it's, um, it's, yeah, it's available to everyone across the world, which is really exciting from my perspective, because I think it gives everyone the ability to watch it. Hopefully, obviously, in certain places of the world, you don't have streaming data, but progressively more and more now, people are able to watch it um, wherever, wherever in the world, which is more exciting because you can get those stories and the messages out quicker, which we need, as we have seen in this uh, COP26 week, which is very exciting. Yes, I I need to really catch up with it all because there's so much being flung <laughs> around, but I need to, I, I saw a bit of, the main two takeaways are David Attenborough's speech and Boris Johnson uh, being a bit oh, naughty sitting yes. next to him, which, uh, yeah, Oof. is I'm Oof. sure people have strong opinions on. I know we could we could <laughs> have strong words here, which we mm. won't go into. <laughs> no, well we can, but we won't. But yeah, we, we can. But he was extraordinary. I was, it was very emotional watching watching it actually because uh, I mean we've all read that report, the um, IPCC Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change report. That just, I mean, it's staggering how how much of a dire situation our species is in, and you know we need this drastic systemic change. As much as as individuals, we can, you know, do make changes to our lifestyles. We're we're incredibly privileged if we think that we, you know, most people in, across the world only have one source of access to protein, and you know, us going, oh well, we'll be organic or we can be vegetarian, we can be vegan. Most people don't have that choice or luxury, no. and. And in terms of travel as well and cost, I mean, I could fly to Spain to see my family for one day and then come back and, you know, have a coffee and, and then fly back. And that's cheaper than visiting a, a friend in London. It's yeah. it's just the mentality of where the subsidies are going and, you know, the taxing on, on fossil fuels. And, you know, it's 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 all messed up in that regard. Um, and, yeah. you know, within the 140 years that we've had, um, fossil fuels and discovered it you know because we had that ridiculous period of 10,000 years of climatic stability which has just been you know completely shifted because of that industrial revolution we moved from a largely agricultural based society to a you know an industrial one and that's just completely shifted everything I mean from you know the behaviors of wildlife obviously and you know just the drastic climatic changes that we're experiencing now which is driving many animals to the brink unfortunately and and, <laughs> and ourselves eventually if we don't yeah. act <laughs> yeah no it's pretty uh you know covid's got us all thinking but the climate crisis is going to make covid look uh, look like nothing if the way it's going so it's pretty 
pretty scary yes. in some some ways. Uh, so you mentioned the mating game. Let, let's give that a healthy yeah. plug. So recently you've been working on the mating <laughs> game, which is obviously a BBC Blue Chip series, Attenborough series. Um, yes. For people that, I mean, it, by the time people are listening to this, it, it's already been out, so you'll be able to catch it on iPlayer. But what's it about and what was it like to work on? Well, thank you very much. It's, <laughs> it was a very exciting series to be involved in. I got involved from the beginning, which was very exciting. I applied to, for the research position on it. Um, and back in 2017 or 18 now. And yeah, essentially it's it's kind of the, the succession from the hunt for any of those of you who've seen that series, which was one of my all-time favorite series because it kind of it used very much immersive technology and, and had the most incredible macro sequences as well. Because for me, obviously Megafauna is amazing, remarkable, but is those sort of, you know, the Porsche spider and all of these micro stories that uh, really, um, you know, encapsulated me because it's they're so nuanced the behaviors that we've never even seen before in that much detail and um so the mating game is uh, basically five-part landmark series that looks at the extraordinary behavioral strategies and the struggles and, and tr trials and tribulations really of animals trying to win over a mate which <laughs> on paper obviously it was a sort of big seller because you think oh well everyone could sort of relate to the the challenges of of all of the of life on earth trying to procreate and, and pass on pass on genes really and uh, the amazing strategies that animals do deploy to, to win a, a mate is obviously, you know, the whole concept and, and what we're filming, because no one wants to just see hours of, you know, court, you know, copulation. Let's call it that. I mean, I think there will be an audience somewhere for it. <laughs> <laughs> Sadly, perhaps, yes. Because yeah. I, I saw some of the statistics that released, it cracked me up going, 4,000 hours of foreplay. I was like, uh... It's more like pre-ritualized courtship strap. Ooh, pre-ritualized courtship. But let's let's just say, okay. And eight much. hours, eight hours of mating I have in my notes as well. <laughs> eight hours of mating. Although, especially for birds, I mean, you know how it's just, poof, so yeah. quick. In and out, yeah. In it, well, literally. And uh, <laughs> the cloacal kiss, as, as Chris Packham beautifully refers to it as. Um, but no, it's, it was an amazing series and, it, you know, it's um, obviously it's based around habitat, so freshwater, plains, grasslands and, um, and jungles as well. And the, the final episode kind of actually looks at more how we've affected the, the sort of breeding behaviours, how some of these animals have gone to the absolute extremes to, to be able to breed um, either through extreme morphology or, you know, to the being pushed to the limits because we've interfered with how they breed. Um, and you know, court as well, which you know is obviously increasingly an issue. But um, I, yeah, I worked across. I the main programs that I worked on were um, the plains, jungles, and oceans apps, which was really exciting because I mean, completely different environments, each one with its own challenges. And um, of course, COVID hit mid <laughs> mid production, yeah. which was fun. Well, well I was <laughs> going to ask you uh, about that because I think is it the first episode you've got the nursery web spiders. Yes, that's correct. And I, I love that. I thought that was an absolutely amazing sequence. And it was lovely to see something British on a blue chip yes. change. And I, and I thought, I wonder if they've done that because of COVID or is it because it's an interesting behaviour? So was it a happy accident or was it kind of COVID limiting the travel? <laughs> well, it was a bit of both, really. We bought uh, okay. this story by the fantastic Nick Gates, actually. he, he Oh, I love Nick. He's a great guy. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's he's Mr. You know, British wildlife. He, I mean, he's just such an incredible naturalist, and so yeah. he brought it to our team. And um, yeah, I mean, it, it was just such a perfect fit for the sort of narrative beats that we we're looking for because there's so many aspects to its behaviour. You know, the deception as well, which 
is fantastic to in you know implement in a in a behavioral sequence um so yeah i mean i i was just i was really excited the fact that we did have another macro sequence in the you know in the planes episode um so jeff wilson was in touch with him about that as well and he said right well you know let's get some british wildlife on the tv as well but also we were completely locked that was sort of at the height of uh, <laughs> where unfortunately we had to do we had to drop a few international sequences but you know obviously we did manage to get some of the big ones like the ostrich which that was really exciting to be to be a part of that and um that was in namibia in southern namibia where actually i was really really excited and proud that in making of um which i was there during the time shooting the amazing um steve steve brooks hartman who's a incredible drone pilot and with Martin Kolbeck as well, who's an absolute legend in our industry. And uh, we did witness the aspects of climate change, which have shifted the breeding seasons of these animals, because it's been so difficult to predict. It was really hard to predict some of the, you know, the ritualized courtship behavior for some animals. And thankfully, when we came back a second time, you know, we were able to capture it in, in its full resplendent, you know, nuptial plumage during the cantling. Um, but it's it's it was really harrowing to see that you know the entire quiver tree forest there um, in the Karas region was completely you know just destroyed by termites because of the exacerbated droughts um, and you know they there have been failed breeding seasons and failed years where the ostrich haven't been able to reproduce and it's heartbreaking to see and um, so yeah I mean in those circumstances it really did bring home the aspects of climate change that have affected the animals but then it gave us opportunities where we couldn't go abroad where we did actually see and get the opportunity to film animals closer to home and i know that obviously there are exciting series that are focusing you know closer to home um, which i can't tell you about but i'm sure you'll be talking to those people soon um and uh yeah it was it, it's it is really great to see that so because for people that haven't seen it so the nursery rep spiders are just one that you can find in the uk i say just one they're amazing creatures but they mm. they kind of give a gift to a mate is that right if i'm remembering that right but sometimes they'll pick up just a bit of debris and wrap it <laughs> up and pretend and kind of fool the female yes. into, mate which is amazing <laughs> it's absolutely incredible it is it is it's the gift giving yeah i mean deception in the animal kingdom and as a mating strategy in general is is amazing it is remarkable to see and we did that again with the with another insect species um one of my favorites the asian synchronous fireflies and um we filmed this aspect of their courtship because everyone's like oh great okay fireflies and their synchronous flashing displays um and this is in kuala selangor again another area which has been heavily impacted by the oil palm industry um but filming their you know synchronous displays was incredible and I know you would have loved it as, as a beetle species. They're absolutely fascinating. And obviously they develop underground as, you know, larva, larva and they, they um, only have two weeks to breed, which seems mad. Um, but they, the males, once they actually attract in, in a female, um, will actually blind, will, you know, go up to the female and blind the female with his lantern. So she can't see any oncoming male, uh, sort of incoming males and then block other males from seeing her response flash so there's a delay there's usually a delay of 1.7 seconds where the female will respond to a male but once he's actually on her he'll he'll actually blind her and stop the other males from seeing it. so you see this massive collaboration of these males synchronously flashing to attract the females in um the signals these extraordinary signals can be seen from hundreds of meters away it's like christmas i mean you go down this amazing river 100 meter stretch just like disco pulsating um, down the river <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, this deception was was filmed for the first time and it was, you know, obviously 
due to the incredible scientists we work with, Veronica Koo, who, who've been studying this particular behavior, but those more nuanced behaviors that you see in, um, yeah, in, in insect species, I think is really exciting to bring to the screen. It's it's always harder, you know, like um like pandas or whatever. I know you worked with my friend Jackie Poon on pandas, didn't you? He's a good mate. <gasps> Jackie, <of mine. laughs> oh, don't you just love him? So you you were on the same course together. I've known Jackie. Right? I've known Jackie since I was sixteen. Yeah, we uh, he went to college with me, and then we went to uni together, um, and then he got, became wildly successful, and and, <laughs> and, and buggered off to China. Well, yeah, yeah, so yeah, but he's, um, yeah, he's, he's a great, he's, I love him. He's been on the podcast, actually. We, we did have a natter on him. I know, I heard, I heard you both. I mean, he, he's, I'm so excited because I'm going to be filming with him on a very exciting project next year. I was like, yes, oh, are we've, you? Known, oh, good. we've known each other for about six years now, but we've oh. never been on a shoot. I was like, Jackie, we have to get on a bloody shoot together. So it's finally come to fruition. I was like, yes, yeah. um, but food. he's amazing. <laughs> party yeah. he should come here for a rough assembly it's like yeah. you know 30 days of quarantining back in china it's so worth it for rough assembly come over yeah he will he'll do it he'll do it he's a good player <laughs> uh, so with with the the mating game there must have been a point where things get a bit graphic if we're filming a lot of mating and i know it's natural history but at yes. times it's going to get a little bit saucy so when does does the cameraman keep filming and then you decide in the edit I mean, like, and what, and what is, because this is, I'm trying to think, this is kind of evening TV. So presumably it it's not going to be too, uh, I don't want to, I don't want to say pornographic. That's not the right word, but you've got to. Explicit. Kind of, yeah, explicit. That's a, yeah. Okay. That's, that's a great word. So like, how, how are you, how are you deciding where goes what and what to show and what not to show? Good question, because it <laughs> can be quite graphic. I mean, we're sort of sat there going, wow, obviously we're going, yes, you know, hold it steady, hold it steady, you're going in for a tight, you're going for a wide, you go, oh, this is a little bit, <laughs> this feels quite dirty, but you're so fascinated because it's a behaviour at the end of the day and every organism needs to breed. It's just, yeah. I mean, the only thing that is a little bit is, is when it's a primate, it's, oh. It's, it's familiar, it's, it's familiar. It's, <laughs> it's too much because it's like, whoa, okay, you know, ventral, ventral and all of this, and you think, wow, okay, that's very human-like. Um, so, I mean, the thing is, yeah, there are obviously children watching this series and uh, all of those decisions are made in the field and that we do continue to shoot because obviously it's, it's you know, a behaviour and it's kind of what we, you know, we do want to show. Like, for instance, when the ostriches are, you know, the ostriches do have quite a large... Yes, appendage. I remember. It's quite impressive. Yeah, it's a big wiggly thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, as do the, I mean, the can the grey, yeah, the eastern grey kangaroos have, I mean, they are quite, yeah, quite graphic with their copulation. Yeah. The very, very, yeah, energetic to put it in a polite term <laughs> when they're copulating. Um, and obviously this whole mate guarding as well, which is, is you know, part of the, the, the sort of um, courtship strategies. So we kind of, we do continue to shoot and then later on in, in post-production and, and the edits, we kind of, you know, decide for to go for a tighter shot or more creative. The key word which we used in the field, you know, was dingle. And we went, dingle, please. And dingle is just basically foreground foliage to make it look quite, you know, yes, sort of, yeah, yeah, you know, a bit yeah. sexy, but you don't see the appendage, you don't see okay. the graphic of it. And you know, no. okay, that's a bit more dingle, please. So we go, oh, let's let's shoot it through here. It's all about perspective, Jax. Yes. All about yes, yeah, and of yeah. Course, 
we were thinking in terms of which perspective do we film it? Do we film it from the male perspective or the female perspective? Because this is something obviously that film directors really think about in drama as well. You know, when you're talking about a romantic series or something that's, you know, focusing on a, a romance novel or um, a period drama, for instance, you always think about perspective and camera angles. So that's something that we also considered as well to make it <laughs> gender neutral and, you know, very uh, PC. I, I hope we paid, we paid, paid off. <laughs> Well, I've only seen the first one, so I need to watch the others. But I'm sure, I'm sure it will be be fine. I, I remember, I can't remember what series it was. It might have been Blue Planet, but there's one of them with males waiting, uh, mate, waiting, mating, and um, that was quite impressive. But it's not. I mean, you can tell what it is, but it's it's not very human like. So you, I think they got away with it, but they did show the whole. That's yeah, it was um, it was pretty yeah impressive for them to kind of show all that <laughs> show all that off. And it's interesting to talk about gender there as well because on. Uh, the perspective because we've spoken before on the podcast about why so few women are in camera roles yes. I wondered what yeah. your thoughts were, were on that yes well I mean I think a lot of the female camera people are very passionate about talking about it because we are you know quite hugely underrepresented in the craft department um, and certainly when I when I was a young little sproglet in Spain watching Attenborough um, I mean, originally I was, I thought I was going to be an animator when I was about eight. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to work for Disney. You know, because it's all about storytelling and I love to draw and, and art. But then I was really interested in natural history and prehistoric history. And then I remember watching, obviously, Dave, the great Sir David Attenborough um, and his incredible documentaries and Planet Earth for the first time. But when I watched the making of, I saw the amazing, who's my absolute hero, Sophie Darlington and, and Justine Evans, who are incredible cinematographers and DOPs um you should absolutely speak to them they're incredible amazing I'm trying people. I'm trying <laughs> <laughs> she's a very both very busy lady yeah no, I know yeah I get that <laughs> I mean they hugely inspired me because it's it's about that thing you know visibility is is incredibly important and I think you know certainly when when you look at the top 10 tech organizations in the world which are worth over 13 trillion dollars 13 trillion dollars these tech brands, none of them, are, none of the CEOs are, are women. And yeah. women do have, you know, we have the technical ability, we have the technical language. I, I work as an ambassador for various tech brands and I do talks and things like that to try and encourage and show that women can be part of this discussion and also involvement, you know, directly in manufacturing them or indeed using them. So that's, for me, I, I use these products to tell stories and Technology isn't something to be frightened of because it's it, they're amazing, incredible tools to be able to to tell beautiful visual stories. So um, I'm I'm certainly a, very passionate about trying to encourage young women um, to get into this industry. And you know I I'm yeah I'm I'm hugely grateful to to Sophie and, and Justine Evans for giving me so much advice over the years and obviously being a huge inspiration to to so many of us young women to be able to get into, um, you know, the craft department as well as editorial. And, um, you know, for so long, I've kind of, you know, been trying to say, you know, it just, just it, storytelling doesn't have to be in the realms of, you know, men or, and obviously there are environments that are very difficult to be able to film in. But, um, you know, when I'm working with DOP's male cameraman, uh, when we're filming in some of these very, very hard conditions, especially in jungles, <laughs> Um, I can't, I wish I could tell you where we're going now, but it's, it's a very, very, <laughs> very compromising circumstances, very hard environment. Um, okay. But we always have assistance because with health and safety, I can't permit my crew to be carrying the, you know, 10 kilo 
um, Atlas 40 with the, the carbon fiber legs with the CN20 in the helix because it's too much for them. Yeah. It's too much for any one per person to carry. So I'm assisting carrying them. We have assistance to help us through the environment. And then we, you know, obviously when you're setting up and you're shooting, that's you as an individual, but you know, anyone can do that who's actually sort of gifted or talented at shooting. And so, yeah, I just encourage as many women to get involved as possible. And always, yeah, trying to sort of, you know, fly the flag for, for female film, filmmakers well, it <laughs> all over the world. Well, yeah, definitely. It doesn't seem to be a lack as uh, who want to get into it because when I look no. at the um, the course I was on and the is it there's one in sure. Bristol is it the MA Wildlife Film? Yes. Radio? It's nearly yes, always fifty. Oh, you did it. There you go. So yeah. it, all, it seems to be either fifty-fifty or, or sometimes even more women. So there's definitely a hunger from women to do it. I just don't get why it's not filtering. I know it takes time and whatnot, and I think it is. It is getting better. I think. I don't. Yes. Know, I think it is getting. Yes, better. absolutely. I mean, and, and I know Sophie and Justin have been at Wildstar Films. They've set up an incredible. Um, well, academy now, which which has just been recently on on social media for to encourage women from all over the world and diverse, you know, people from all over the planet to be able to get involved with shooting because we do need a range of storytelling voices and it doesn't matter. I think it's just I think it's just part. You know, it was during the time back when the industry people associated women with being more editorial perhaps or managerial, yeah. of course, production coordinators, and managers. But now more and more women. I mean, I know you interviewed the amazing Jessica, who I love. She's incredible. Yeah, legend, isn't she? Um, yeah. Legend, you know, and amazing people that you've interviewed who are f female filmmakers and equally, the, and, and there are so many male cameramen who are very supportive of that as well, you know, and Tom Rowland as well, who, who I'm working with at present. He's fantastic, incredible, you know, up and coming star, rising star. And he's incredibly supportive of women in the industry as well. And I think it's about support, you know, men or people in powers of position, you know, positions of power, being able to hire and trust that women can actually do it. And, you know, being able to shoot and actually get credits, I think is probably the hardest thing for, for any, you know, female. And there was a, a remarkable article the other day by We Are Women Doc that investigated how many women um, when there are researcher versus AP, get the opportunity to shoot. I think it's, you know, only 23% actually get the opportunity when they're at AP level, I believe, to shoot. And I was incredibly fortunate when I was a researcher that I could actually pick up a camera. But it, you know, it's about someone giving you the opportunity with these high-end cameras to say, I have experience on a RED, I have experience, you know, on an X7 uh, Inspire 2, you know, building up your donors. Someone has to trust you and give you the opportunities. Because who the hell can afford to hire you know, a <laughs> hundred thousand pounds setup. And yeah, but yeah, now yeah. camera technology has become so much more accessible. And that's why I love doing my own short personal films as well to keep up my shooting. And, you know, I love shooting. Obviously I have to sh shoot with Panasonic cause I work with them, but they, you know, this, the camera technology is becoming far more accessible now to everyone. And I see some incredible work that, you know, you know, young uh, aspiring camera people that are sending to me, I'm like, God, they're so talented. You know, they're yeah. amazing. And just, you know, editing your own work coming up with the narrative the storytelling that's all you want to see and the passion has to be there you know it's it's very much a lifestyle as, as I can see it, it is with you and all of our colleagues that we talk about on the Twitter sphere or you know in, in the industry they're so passionate all the people that you interview are just just absolute complete nature nerds and we all we all engage and we just want to share stories that you know in, hopefully encourage people to care about the natural world so any gender can do that
that's the dream isn't it and that's the hope and i think yeah there's more and more people doing it which is which is only a good thing um i've noticed a lot of people in wildlife filmmaking like yourself mm. have a zoological degree as opposed to say mm -hmm. a, a photography or or a filmmaking one and i wondered would you think mm. that is more useful is it more useful to have a zoological degree or would you steer people more in the direction of a kind of technical degree it depends really i mean i know some incredible researchers and you know system producers who've never gone through the scientific route i've always just been a you know, total nerd you should have seen me jack i was such a, a, a loser just roaming around the mountains because well, southern spain is such a fabulous migratory corridor for, yeah, for yeah, yeah. you know migratory birds in spain so short extra, eagles. extra demo oh i'm gonna butcher extra this. yeah that's the one although, <laughs> extra, although i was in andalusia so more more south coast. okay, okay. Um, and actually because near gibraltar near jeb you get amazing you know raptors obviously that are mig um, migrating and um fabulous migratory corridors um but short-toed eagles and you know european beaters and golden yeah. orioles so i was always nerding out and i was always just been passionate about science and i knew that i'd want to get into a, a zoology degree so i did everything i could to to study the sciences but also keeping up my i couldn't afford a camera at the time so i had this really crappy l Coolpix nikon camera like three optical zoom oh steady terrible. on <laughs> steady <laughs> on and uh, i used to do lots of macro photography because i mean i couldn't shoot anything else i'd be like look there's the short-toed eagle and it's carrying you know a culebra which is a snake species i can't i don't actually know the name of an english but it'd be you know in talons and i think whoa it'd be only 15 meters away but you know one percent of my screen would be filled with it because it's not a proper slr but when i could afford it eventually i, I got a I, I got my one canon 1000d with my tamron my tamron 200 <laughs> <laughs> could actually finally start capturing images um but i built up a portfolio whilst i was kind of aiming towards a zoology degree so i am um, then came to the uk on a scholarship because yeah i mean it's, it's quite expensive to study in spain as well and coming to the uk gave me so many opportunities to you know join all these nerd clubs <laughs> which was brilliant and outdoorsy clubs so I kind of found my tribe really and then I did the masters in in wildlife filmmaking in Bristol so everything was to come to Bristol but in my personal experience you don't have to be if you're good at telling stories and you're passionate about telling stories you don't necessarily need um, a research background it I admit it does help in that when I'm reading papers like today I'm reading a paper I can't tell you which paper I'm reading because it'll give away the game um <laughs> but you know understanding that the sort of methodologies or things like that can help you build up relationships with scientists maybe a little quicker or yeah. in a more sincere yeah. way because you're genuinely understanding what process they've been through to do ANOVAs you're or speaking whatever. the same language yes exactly yeah. and it yeah. does help so I, I have to admit it does help it did help me and also that's how i got my first gig um on bbc wildcat series um because because i'd done some research on iberian links and also i could speak the language spanish so i went yeah. back to my hometown which was exciting i was like oh, back in malaya <laughs> um but no certainly i think storytelling is the key you know it doesn't matter if you have a zoology degree it would be good it'd be, it's useful um, but as long as you can read papers and you enjoy reading them, that's totally fine. Passion is absolutely 100% necessary. And, you know, reading, I know some of the best naturalists are people who are just avid readers and actually get out there and observe wildlife because we can all be sat behind a desk. But like, like yourself, I think, gosh, you must never be indoors. You're just out swimming. You're like Aquaman. <laughs> I think my wife would probably wish I was Jason Momoa. But, uh... <laughs> 
no um only for, for halloween and comic-con yeah 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 <laughs> just special occasions yeah um but yeah i mean i probably put myself in the bracket of naturalist yes. where i've not got a i haven't got a degree in zoology or anything but i just spend really the, i would ha- i would never have known you're so no, knowledgeable no i'm just i just yeah read a lot of books and just go out and look at things so yeah maybe i'm i'm the prime example of the other way i guess well you, I, I mean but then I wouldn't say you have to have a degree in in photography or filmmaking necessarily. I mean, no. you can you can pick that up. So I think a degree sure. isn't a be all or end all for sure. No, God, 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 no, no. I I don't want people to be under that impression. I no. I mean, no, of no. course, and there's the cost implications as well. I had to I had to get a scholarship to be able to afford it because you know, especially unfortunately, my age group hit when the fees were like colossal. Um, oh, you, you got stung. I got stung, so yeah. I had to really, you know, sort of, yeah, study and and, and be able to afford to, to do that because it, it is, you know, it is a big sort of shift coming from a different country. But um, I mean, absolutely, I, I, I academia, academia was for me, and if I wasn't in wildlife, I probably would be studying, you know, bat feces somewhere in the Congo or something, you know, we something. All, we'd all be <laughs> doing that. Everyone would be getting um, stuck into some guano. But- but no, I mean, you're, you're a perfect example. I had absolutely no idea. You're so knowledgeable and passionate and have, you know, I mean, that's the thing, being a great naturalist is someone who who's a, has the ability to, to you know, recall and retain all of that information like that because they're passionate about it. It's not, it's not a day job that you have to go, oh, okay, let me, you know, it's it's a passion of full-time. It doesn't feel you know. like work. No, no, exactly. It doesn't, it doesn't. So I, I completely agree. There we go. And before we go, uh, for someone getting into wildlife filmmaking industry, what advice yes. would you give them? Okay, well, I, I'd say, I mean, obviously, number one, as we've discussed with the passion and, you know, being able to showcase your ability to tell stories. I mean, that's absolutely crucial for wildlife filmmaking. It's all visual narrative and storytelling that's that, you know, producers and, and commissioners are looking for. I think if you're interested, obviously, in wildlife filmmaking, you have to watch a lot of the content. There'll be, there's a lot of people who get in touch and say, you know, what's your favorite documentary and series? And if you're able to really understand the landscape of what's actually out there, that's a great start because then you can begin to see, you know, what genre you like working in. Do you enjoy? Because obviously that there's been a huge dynamic shift into conservation and you know storytelling narratives focus on the environment which is super exciting because that wasn't around when I started out um or are you more interested in the blue chip purist um behavioral series which again people adore because it's showcasing the natural world to its its absolute you know full glory and all the life histories of the animals that you can watch and learn from so find out what your niche is you know what niche in just part of the industry you want to work in um also what roles you want to be involved in because there's a whole aspect of you know, um, from production to pre-production to post-production editing or camera work, as we've said, the craft department or editorial being up, becoming a researcher and an assistant producer and a producer. So, you know, getting work experience is such a fantastic and valuable time well spent because I know it is expensive. We've all been there. We're going, oh God, I've got to live on a couch with a friend for, you know, a month because, you know, you're trying to get work experience in Bristol. And But now there's remote working, you know, remote work experience opportunities thanks to COVID, which one good thing to come out of it, but, you know, getting work experience and connecting with producers, production managers as well, because obviously they're the ones who have talent lists, um, you know, and obviously making a good impression is, is hugely important in networking. But I think if you're, you're genuinely sincere and you do enjoy, you know, talking to people about your passion and their work as well, it's, it comes across because, you know, we're all we're all good people in the industry, and you know we're very passionate about what we do. We're trying to help conserve the planet. So 
I think absolutely, you know, going to network, but, you know, obviously coming across as a a genuine nice person is uh, is always great because we want to work with nice, kind people in the field. Um, And yeah, create content. That is my my key takeaway. Create your content. There's endless opportunities to create content now. Platforms, you know, podcasts. Don't don't compete with Jack. So his is great. Yeah, don't do a podcast. Don't do that. Um, but you know, YouTube is fantastic. Vimeo, obviously, where all professionals go when we put all the letterbox bands, you know, get <laughs> all the aspect ratios. I um, think that's yeah. the only thing keeping Vimeo going is professional filmmakers, <laughs> isn't it? Just just uploading show reels and then doing nothing else for six months. Precisely, yeah. you know. Um, but absolutely get your content out there and you know, social media platforms are a fantastic way to connect with like-minded individuals yeah. and well, see TikTok the work now as well, things like TikTok. I know. Have you have you jumped into that realm? I'm not, I feel like I'm too old for TikTok. I don't know. Maybe I'm not. I, I've got friends who do it, and I don't understand. My my, my partner loves it, and and I've seen the oh, other thing. I I don't I don't know what it is. You should TikTok your fish. I well, yeah. I, like apparently, so someone messaged me. So a quick deviant. I won't try and t- steal too much limelight from you, but on my no, no, um, I want to know. On my, on my on my Apple flip on my YouTube channel, someone messaged the other day. Oh, that's uh, lovely to see Paul. And they kept, me- and then four or five different people put Paul. And I thought, what? Who's right. Paul? What's going on here? And I, I just commented and said, Who's Paul? Because it was a video about mayflies. And they oh. went, Oh, uh, someone's taken that clip, put it on TikTok, and it's it's gone viral. And oh. they've just called it Paul the Mayfly. And I was like, <laughs> So no. I need, I haven't got, I need to download TikTok to try and find it. But apparently someone's taken my clip and it's, I mean, I don't, what can you do? I'm not too fussed, but it's, I just find that really funny that I've gone viral. I didn't know. That's amazing. I've got, yeah. I've got to see that. I haven't got TikTok. I'm, no. I'm going to get, I, I just want to know what they've done, whether they, cause I think you can put, I'm sound like a granddad now, but I think you put, is it, you put sound over video and you can yeah. make your own little things. And uh, I don't know. I don't know if they've put music cause it's bouncing. It's like, it looks like it's doing uh, press ups. So I guess someone's probably put I don't know scar music on it or something I don't know. So we'll, I'll, I'll I'll dig it out. I'll hunt around. You're going viral and you don't even know it. No, I know, I know. <laughs> Who knew? Who knew? Anyway, so I rudely interrupted you about. Um, no, I think it's brilliant. I'm excited. Advice in the wildlife industry, but yeah. No, and yeah, but by all means, if anyone is, you know, I, I mean, I, I don't know what information I can, <laughs> can offer people, but so I'm always available and happy to, to chat to people and, and try and, and get them as much advice as possible. And because uh, it is an incredible industry, um, hard, hard work. I mean, I, I spend so long away from friends and family and, you know, it, it can be hard, but I mean, we're so, in such a privileged position um, and in that we have these the, the potential and the power to, as you've seen some of these clips that go viral, like Paul, um, yeah. <laughs> these in, very important messages that go out to the world, to global leaders, to be policymakers that are changing the face of our planet, especially now geopolitical status across, across our planet is on, you know, <laughs> on the tipping point as we're making, you know, pacts and, and you know, legislation that is going to protect our planet for future generations, hopefully systemic change is coming so that we can actually have a sustainable planet and all of you know the, the visuals that you saw behind David Attenborough on that speech you know again by the amazing colleagues at, at Sorbeck you know these are so powerful these images that make people 
resonate and connect with the voice, with the words that everyone is involved in. It's so important. So storytelling at its best, you know, wildlife filmmaking is it's 100% worth getting into. So yes, if anyone has any questions, I'm always, always happy to try and help in, you know, in any way I can. Yeah, I think that's definitely the the way forward. And I'm sure people will be uh, hitting your uh, Instagram DMs now, asking you loads of questions about how to, to do it all. Well, look, Tanya, it's been absolutely great to, to finally chat to you because it's the first time we've spoken properly. So it's nice to have a little waffle and talk about wildlife. Uh, thanks for coming on. Thank you so much, Jack. And good luck with, with Paul and your aquarium. I look forward to seeing more of that. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers. Thank you. Bye. Take care. That was Tanya Esteban. She's such a lovely person, incredibly talented. If you haven't seen any of her films like The Last Mahout and A Lion's Tale, they are epic and well worth a watch. Don't forget you can follow us on Twitter, at TitBearded, and there's the Facebook page, The Bearded Tits Podcast. You can also check out the YouTube channel, Wildlife Exposed TV, where you can see our faces. Now, I've got some ideas for where the podcast is going to be going. I'm going to be getting some guests in to host, some special guests, who will host podcasts. I won't be on it. They'll be asking someone else. Uh, but I'm looking for ideas. If you think there are different ways the podcast could potentially go, like I say, I think we've got maybe five or six more podcasts. Then I'm going on a, a sabbatical and uh, not going to be doing any for a while. So if there's anything that you think I could maybe do to bridge the gap uh, and keep it ticking over, whether and I'm thinking about potentially doing it as a series, so maybe like doing 10 episodes, then a bit of a break, and another 10 rather than just constantly rolling them out because I'm just finding uh, time is at a premium currently. So let me know, get in touch. If you've got any ideas for where the podcast could go going forward, let me know. Next week, I'm chatting to Jack Heathcote, who has the largest private aquarium in Britain and he only lives 20 minutes from me. So I had to go and visit and find out more about it and why he set up this massive tank. So that's next week's episode. This has been the Bearded Tits podcast. I've been your host, Jack Perks, and I'll see you next time. Cheers.